So if you're a, a, a follow along in your Bible person, uh, you would have gathered we're in James chapter 2. We're going to start halfway through the chapter, but I'm really glad that uh, you guys read that uh, reading for the whole of chapters 2 and 3. And, uh, and I really enjoyed that, uh, that version too, that, that uh, paraphrase, which was great. It was, uh, saves a lot of explanation when you, when you get a, a, a Bible that's in a modern version of English. There's a story that people tell about a zoo. And this zoo was really well known for having a great collection of different animals. In fact, it sort of had one of everything and that was, that was their big bragging point. So one day their gorilla dies. Bad news for a zoo to have an animal die, particularly you know, when it's unexpected. And so to keep up the appearance of having a full range of animals, uh, the zookeepers hire a man to wear a gorilla suit. And this guy's not so experienced and so he's in there, he's trying his best, doesn't really know how to act like a gorilla. And as he tries to sort of lope around the enclosure, he trips and he falls off the edge of the enclosure into the lion's enclosure. I won't scream. Ah! You know, he he goes bananas. And that's not a pun. (laughs) And he he loses, he goes completely out of character and he's screaming his head off. He's saying, help me, help me, I'm going to die. Until the lion saunters over and says, will you shut up? You're going to get us both fired. As people, we know we have this innate ability to know when something doesn't gel. We know when things aren't right, when something doesn't match up. In fact, when there's an inconsistency, it really rubs us quite badly. Um, and I, for me, I'm a, I'm a parent of little kids. Probably the thing that gets me most uh, is when my kids have done something wrong and I say, well, what do you need to say? Sorry. Now, that right there, that just revs me right up because I know that it's a word that it's not meant. It doesn't come from there. There is a big inconsistency between the behaviour and the tone and the word itself. And when there's a lack of inconsistency between what we profess, what we say is true and what actually appears to be true, we actually call it hypocrisy. That is actually hypocrisy. When there's a lack of consistency, there's a lack of integrity. In fact, integrity or integrate is that same notion of where we get the, the word disintegrate. That is, things are falling apart. It is all not together. It doesn't match. And so when there's a lack of integrity or there's hypocrisy, that is actually disintegrated. Things are not together. And James is pretty much about that, is it not? As we read the book of James, it's not really saying, hey guys, could you please... Uh, change your behaviour he's saying there needs to be consistency he's not just saying please will you change your behaviour he's saying if this then that if there is faith there is works if there is love it shows if then he's saying they come together because that's what integrity or consistency requires if they're not together then the first statement is not true If I don't see the fruit, then there's probably not a tree, etc. And so in this section of James, we're going to look at it in three parts. We're going to talk about faith and deeds. We're going to talk about uh, your words and where it comes from, your heart, 
and your words and then we're going to talk about wisdom, the source and the kind of wisdom. And in each section of this passage, James, uh, halfway through chapter 2 and then all of chapter 3, we're going to see that James is actually saying the same thing in three different ways or three different examples. He's going for the same message. It's actually not three topics. It's the same underlying thing all the way through. I'm not going to read uh, the passage again, um, but I'm going to warn you, we're going to camp for a little while in that first section, that faith and deeds, and then because we will have fleshed out the message, we'll go shorter through the other two. And it's just as well that I'm a guy who's working to, uh, used to working to deadlines, because I see I've got one. So, James chapter 2, verse 14, we're going to have a look at four things effectively here. We're going to say what is exactly it is that James is saying, what are the examples that he uses. We're going to test the consistency with scripture because there's something to be tested here, that is faith and deeds, how they relate to each other. And then we're going to talk about what that means for us. So let me quickly just read to you the first uh, four verses. What good is it? My brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. So, first of all, let's talk about what James is exactly saying here and we might need to isolate what he's not saying. First of all, James is saying, he's not saying that this person actually has faith. He's saying this person claims to have faith. What good is it if you claim to have faith but there is no accompanying evidence? James is saying that kind of faith is actually not real faith. He's saying that's a claim of faith. That is a statement that is not backed up by any evidence at all. I'm an oasis but when you have a look at me, I'm a desert. And his question in verse 14 is a rhetorical question. Can that sort of faith save you? The answer is, no, it can't. Not because faith alone can't save, but because that's actually not faith. Faith is able to be tested by evidence and there is no evidence here. Therefore, there actually is no faith. It's a claim of faith. If anyone who is under 30 uh, and writing this letter, they would write something like, as if that faith is going to save you. As if. Because it's not the deeds that save you. James is not saying the works are what matters. He's saying it's the faith that matters, but you can see it when you look. And what you see is good works. He's actually saying something similar along uh, the lines to what is attributed to Martin Luther. I wasn't able to nail that one down, but it's, it goes, it's a saying that goes like this. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. I'm going to say that again because I've, I've really enjoyed chewing on that. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. So faith by itself, which is not accompanied by action, is dead. It is actually not faith. It's not real faith. I think I might have used this example last time. When I take my little kid swimming, my little three-year-old son, Ben, and he stands on the edge of the pool and I say, jump, mate, I'll catch you. 
You know I'm going to catch you, right? Yep. So jump. He hasn't exercised faith. He doesn't have faith until he jumps. And unless there is evidence of our faith, then there actually is no faith. Faith is acting in accordance with my professed belief. It is actually when there is integration, integrity between what I say is true and what I live as truth. So James is essentially addressing uh, a group of people who thought it was enough to profess words, to say a group of sacred words or to claim, just to say, yes, I believe in... and they would maybe recite a creed. They thought that that itself was enough to save them. Everything, in, everything else in my life will stay the same but I will mark my uh, behaviour with words. I will make some kind of profession. Perhaps I will attend a church. Perhaps I will sing a song. Perhaps I will say a prayer. Perhaps I will partake in communion. The bare profession that is just mouthing the words is not faith, James says, because when I look to test for real faith, I see life change and life change shows itself in actions. That's what he's saying here. So just saying I believe in God is not the same as becoming a follower of Jesus. They're two different things. James is not saying that the deeds are necessary to create faith. He's saying that faith will always create deeds. And James is not saying that everyone has to be perfect. It's easy to read this and say, wow, my deeds are sometimes a bit of a worry. You're making me question my faith. Thank goodness that James uh, mentions in chapter 3, we all stumble in many ways. None of us are perfect. In fact, he says the last thing that you're ever going to conquer is your tongue. And we'll get to that. But he says we all stumble, but you will see good coming out of a person when Jesus has changed their heart. If Jesus is in your heart, yep, it starts to show. It might start small, but it will always start. It will always start to show. And then James goes on and uses a series of examples which actually help us to understand what it is that he's really getting at. So first of all, the exa- he uses two good examples and two bad examples. And the two bad examples, uh, one is uh, the, the meaningless words that are spoken out of charity. I see a person on the street, they're hungry, they're cold, uh, they have inadequate clothes, and I say to them, I really hope that you get some clothes and get some food. Uh, good luck with that. I really do hope that it happens for you. And then I put my wallet securely in my pocket and I walk on. My words have actually achieved nothing. In fact, my words are fairly empty. They're a bit meaningless. And what they say, my words actually show, is that although I've spoken them, my actions are inconsistent. My actions are here. My words are there. Although I say I care about the person, my actions show that I don't. It's a lot like the, uh, the Good Samaritan story of the guy, you know, the priest who was 
God's representative, you know, doing a big detour around the needy man. The second example is of the demons. And, and this is quite a harsh example in a way, but James is targeting this fact. He's saying it's not enough just to believe in God. Even if, if you profess that belief, great. Even if you do believe that God exists, yep, you know what? That's different to faith. That's not faith. That's just head knowledge. That's not life-changing faith. Because even the demons know that God exists and they know it enough to shudder at the thought. But that's different to faith. And then James goes on to use two good examples, two positive ones, where he says, hey, have a look at Abraham. Abraham was directed by God to take his own son and sacrifice him on top of the mountain. And it wasn't until Abraham actually started to carry that through That was when he proved his faith. That was his belief in God in action, showing what was in his heart. He believed God. He took him him at his word. And when Abraham went and carried that through, and it was only when he was poised with the knife did God say, that's enough. That was Abraham's faith in action. And, And James says, that was real faith. That's faith that shows what's in your heart. Note that God actually asked Abraham to do something that was very painful and sacrificial and very hard. Sometimes living out of faith is not an easy thing. The other one was Rahab. The the other good example that he uses is Rahab. Her faith in God uh, was followed through by what she did. She didn't just answer the door and say to the Israeli spies, yep, there's a hole in the wall over there, good luck with that, slam. She said, I believe in the God of your nation and I'm going to help you out. She took a big risk. She did something incredibly scary because it was more than just words. She actually was motivated by what was in her heart and she risked her life to do that. The last example, the dead body versus the alive body. The body without the spirit is just a corpse. Your faith without works is actually not faith. It is dead. It's not real faith. I had the uncomfortable experience uh, not too long ago of watching someone pass from death to life. Uh, No? Thank you. The other way around. Life to death. This person was on life support and the family of which I was one took the hard decision to turn it off. There was no prospect of uh, recovery and as all the machines stopped bleeping, I realised I was no longer looking at a living person. This person was no longer a person. It was just a body. And James says the same thing about your faith. If it is just a profession, but there are no signs of life, actually, it's just words. It's just noise. It actually is not a thing. It's not faith. Thirdly, let's look at consistency with scripture because sometimes we get a little bit squeamish, particularly at this verse uh, which says, 24, you'll see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Now, sometimes we get a little bit, well, hang on a second, I'm pretty sure that I read somewhere in Galatians or Ephesians that uh, this is uh, a doctrine of faith alone. We believe that it's faith alone that saves and that we don't earn our salvation. I'm glad you asked that question. I asked that question too. 
But we know from looking at other parts of scripture that first of all, James is not saying you work and then that creates the faith. James is also not saying that you need to start with the works. No, he says you start with the faith. And he's writing to a group of churches here, people who already believe and he's saying there's got to be consistency. Please don't claim to have faith if you're looking like a desert. Don't claim to be a tree if you're fruitless. I'm not going to read them all, uh, but let me give you some references and I'll read a couple of them. If you're a, a note-taking person, write fast. John 14:23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. John 10:27. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Matthew 7. Jesus is speaking. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut off and thrown into the fire. By their fruit you will know them. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. 8, sorry, 8 through to 10. For by grace you are saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship or God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Titus 1.16 They profess to know God but they deny him by their works. Uh, there's many, many more I could read to you. The point is this. James is not saying that we start with the fruit. He's not writing to unbelievers and telling them how to come to faith. He's writing to churches and telling them how to distinguish between what is a real faith and what is a pretend one. Paul, when he wrote about faith and works, was talking about people who thought they could earn God's approval by what they did, by obeying a set of rules and, he's, and Paul says to them, that doesn't save you. James is talking about works in obedience to Jesus. People who profess a faith and James says, well I can test whether Jesus has changed your heart or not because I'll look for works and if I was to use a tree example which I like we have a large garden at home and uh, it's not largely a result of my work, it's Kaz but we can tell what's a good tree and what's not and so Paul when he wrote about faith in works he was saying you know what, you can't sticky tape fruit to a twig or to a branch and just hold it up and say I've got a tree James says, you can't just pick up a tree, sorry, you can't just pick up a tree, uh, a stick, and declare it to be a tree either. Either way, a tree is only a tree if it's planted in the ground, its roots are deep, and it's producing fruit. Now then you know that you have a healthy tree. So what does this all mean? So what? Here's a few basic take-home points. James says, if there is no fruit at all, then you don't have a problem with your behaviour. You actually have a problem with your heart. It's actually about the faith. It's not about the deeds. The deeds is the test. The faith is the question. It's a bit like the, when you go to the doctor and he says, yeah, you've got a rash on your skin. Uh, he's not going to just treat the rash. He's going to say, what's causing the rash? Where is this coming from? 
Secondly, we're not declared, sorry, we're not saved by declaring ourselves to be followers of Jesus or just by mouthing a form of sacred words. When I was growing up as a kid, there was a prayer. It was almost prescriptive words. I don't know about you. I don't believe that that is the case. Actually, what the Bible teaches is that it's a heart decision. It could be silence. But if I make a decision in my heart and I start to follow Jesus, the Bible says that is faith. My faith is actual life decisions. It is not mere noise out of my voice box. And the third thing that James is saying is this. Faith is the tree. Good deeds are the fruit. Please don't get them mixed up, he says. You can't just have the deeds. You can't say that you have a tree. If you have a tree, there will be fruit. If Jesus is king in your heart, it will show. It will come out. It can't be helped. And so the big issue or the big, uh, the big ticket item here in this passage is this. It's about the source. It's about where your heart has got its roots. What makes the difference to my deeds is actually what's in my heart. Or should I say, who's ruling my heart? If it's me ruling my heart, that's evident in my actions. If it's Jesus ruling my heart, that is also evident in my actions. I can't change my heart by changing my behaviour, but my behaviour will change if Jesus is in my heart. The second section. Don't panic everyone. I told you we're going to take a while on the first. The second section, taming the tongue. So James turns his attention to this next item, I guess, but he, says, he starts to say the same thing. And he's, he's already mentioned the tongue in, in chapter 1. He says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Uh, in 126, he says, anyone who claims to be religious but hasn't got a tight rein on his tongue, he's deceiving himself. So what does James say about the tongue? Firstly, he says, teaching the Bible comes with a huge responsibility. Now, I can't tell you how uncomfortable it is, David, to preach, preach about a passage about preachers. It's quite unnerving. But James is writing, again, he's writing to a, a group of churches, some of whom were aspiring to be preachers or teachers because of the status that came with it. And he said, hey, don't chase that position. It's got hair on it. It's got some strings attached James has been pushing and he continues to roll out this humility theme throughout, the, throughout his letter. And he says teaching actually carries a really strict judgment. The one who gives Christian instruction is exposed to a very great sense of judgment. And, and it's in two ways. One, if I stand up here and I, I tell you about the Bible and I tell you what it means and I say this is what I've read and I'm trying to explain it to you, my own personal actions are on display as well. And just like the whole faith and deeds thing, I'm up here on public display and I'm subject to scrutiny. If I sit down there amongst you and someone else talks, I'm scrutinising them, not scrutinising myself. So hypocrisy is easy to detect, easy to detect in the preacher because you're hearing their words and you're watching their actions. Secondly, teaching has a huge influence on people. Words are powerful and so the Christian teacher is held to account for what he teaches and how. Secondly, James says the tongue is powerful 
and it can be used both for good or evil. You and I know that to be true. People who are careless with their words can do incredible damage. People who are positive with their words and go out of their way to use their words well can do incredible good. Thirdly, James says, your words are part of the fruits of your faith. Just like your works or your deeds, your words come from the overflow of your heart. And we know that from the words of Jesus in Luke 6. I'm a fan of online videos. Uh, I try to keep it, you know, within certain boundaries. But I get really distracted on my Facebook feed when someone posts a funny video. Uh, I go and have a look at it. And someone put one on my uh, online post the other day where this guy, they crawl under his house and they plumb beer into his taps. So he goes home to do the dishes, turns on the tap and cold beer came out of the tap. And, you know, he smells it and tastes it and he's like, this is crazy. Uh, He goes to the laundry to see if he can do the dishes there, the same thing. James is saying the same thing about our words. He says, actually, your words are just like turning on the tap. You can't change your words at the tap. If you want to change what comes out of the tap, you've got to go back and plumb it in somewhere else. James says the same thing. It's the same with our words, the same with our deeds. Actually, it's where it comes from that matters. Not, you can't change it at the tap. By then it's too late. It's about the source. James uses some examples when it comes to the, uh, to the issue of words. The bit in the horse's mouth, the rudder of the ship, the spark that takes, starts a wildfire. Small thing, your tongue. Small thing, your words. Take a few seconds and the damage is done and the, and the impact is enormous. And it can be big or small. Sorry, it can be good or bad. And then he talks about the source. Can a fig tree grow olives? Can a grapevine grow figs? Can a salt spring produce fresh water? No. And so what is he asking? He's saying, what is the source? When someone spews terrible words out, it's not that they're worried about... You can't just go to that person and say, hey, watch your mouth. You really need to say, hey, I need to ask about your heart. What's happening in, inside of you? It's like having a contaminated stream. You can't sort of say, well, look, at this point of the river, I'm going to try to tidy up the stream. You've got to go right back to the source. Where is it coming from? And so if you or I have a problem with words, we actually have a problem with our heart. And so our prayer needs to be not, God change my mouth, it's God change my heart. Help me to have a love for that person that I keep speaking harshly to. Help me to have a love for the truth and be bold enough to speak it and not tempted to gloss over. Lastly, James talks about wisdom and he says there's two kinds of wisdom and how to distinguish the two is to think about the source. Again, he says there's worldly wisdom and there's heavenly wisdom. And one comes from earth and it is motivated by bitter envy and selfish ambition. It is the wisdom that gets you ahead on earth. It's the wisdom that gets you ahead. It's resentful of the success of others and it's motivated for success for yourself. And so James says, who of you claims to be wise? Let's test it. What is the kind of wisdom that is on display? The wisdom that comes from heaven 
that comes from God shows itself. It has fruit. Again, he's going for the whole source and what flows out of it. And he says, godly wisdom shows in this way. It's a good life. It's wholesome. It has deeds done with humility. It's pure. That's not, it's not contaminated by bad motives. It's peace-loving. It doesn't cause dissension. It thinks of others. That is, it's considerate. It's submissive. That is, it, that sort of wisdom knows how to follow, not just how to lead. It's full of mercy. It's full of good fruit. It's impartial. It's sincere. There is a wisdom that can be revealing the source and he says, James says, here's the things to look for. If you're seeing these things, then it's godly wisdom. If you're not seeing those things, it's probably a different kind of wisdom. A wisdom that doesn't come from God and is motivated by self. So I'm going to leave you with some questions to ponder. First of all, the biggest question of all is about the source. Am I connected to the source? And what I mean by that is, do I have Jesus dwelling in my heart? Not just a, I know what the Bible says, I can read it, I mouth a prayer once. Actually, is my faith in Jesus a life decision that shows itself in my life decisions? If not, if I can't say that confidently, yep, my, my biggest life decision has been to make Jesus the boss of my heart. If I can't say that, then my question is what? What will you do about it? When? Don't put it off. Don't allow it to be something that remains a bare profession. Second question that I want us to ponder, as a church, how does our faith express itself? Do we speak out about issues that matter and more, better still, do we act on the things that matter? Do we say to the needy, be warm and well fed? Would we be missed if we weren't here? This church closed next week. Who would miss it? It's a challenging question. How does our faith display itself in deeds corporately as a church, not just individually? Thirdly, what do our words say about us? When I turn on the tap, what comes out of my mouth? What do they say about my heart? Do I need God to change my heart? Do I need God to change my attitude towards a particular person or my pride or my anger or my bitterness? When words come, what do they say about the source of the words? And then lastly, am I pursuing a worldly wisdom or a godly wisdom? How is it that I can pursue godly wisdom in my life? And can I give you a hint? It's not about changing our behaviour. It's actually about letting God change our heart. Can I pray for us as we close? Lord, thanks so much uh, for the letter that James wrote. Um, the practicality that it has. Uh, Lord, help us not to just think that this is uh, behaviour modification, but help us to be directed back to Jesus. Lord, I pray for us as a church, both a local church and also a, a global church, uh, 
that we would be motivated to show our faith, to put it on display, to be genuine, not to just be professors um, stating truth but actually living it out, showing people what Jesus' love is like, sacrificially, risk-taking, in scary ways uh, but in real ways. Lord, take us now. Don't let us uh, sit comfortably with this. Let us sit uncomfortably. Uh, Challenge us. Change us. uh, Prompt us to move by your Spirit. And we ask those things in the name of Jesus. Amen.